Hello, welcome back to IVFU. Today's conversation is very special to me because I have a personal connection to both guests. I know Nicole Lawson because she runs the surrogacy agency where we found our amazing surrogate, Kaylee, who carried our son, Darwin. And I know Pamela Hirsch because I've played benefit shows for the foundation she runs that awards grants for fertility treatments. But Pam and Nicole also have a very personal connection to each other, their mother and daughter. So I'm excited for you to meet them as we talk about how infertility affects not just us, but the families and loved ones around us. It's IVFU Bring Your Mom to Work Day. Can you hear me? Yes, oh, I hear you. I won't tell you. We just, I set up my whole thing in the next room to the office and we just got this furniture delivery and they started drilling. <laughs> so if, if you hear drilling and it's, a, I think they're almost done. I can move this downstairs. Okay. okay. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. Hi there. Hi. And so I just want to start off. This is exciting for me. We haven't had a mother-daughter team before. <laughs> and so, Nicole, you are the co-owner and co-founder of Abundant Beginnings Surrogacy Agency. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, and your partner is? Um, Julie Allgood is my Julie. partner. Yes. And Pam, you are the founder of the Baby Quest Foundation, which awards grants to individuals and couples trying to make a family. I'm right. also saying that correctly. Yes, definitely. And, and then the big piece of this is, Pam, you are Nicole's mother. <laughs> That's true. It's right. something we, uh, we want to talk about. Okay. So yeah. I just wanted to kind of, I have some little chapter headings here. And I first just kind of want to talk to both of you about what you do, what these organizations are. So um, in fact, my first question, Nicole, was Abundant Beginnings, it's a surrogacy agency. It's not egg or sperm donation. There are groups out there that do the whole kit and caboodle. Is, is there a reason why you focused on surrogacy? Yes. I mean, I, so when we started the agency, we had always considered, do we just focus on surrogacy or do we do both? Um, and surrogacy, of course, is something that's such a, a personal thing for me. And because of my experience having surrogates who carried my children, it was something that I wanted to hopefully have the opportunity to help others going through that process through surrogacy. Because um, of course you didn't have an egg donor, so you didn't. I didn't working with yeah, that. Cor correct, correct. I I feel very fortunate that when we started to try, we were so young. You know, I was all of twenty seven. So the um, that part of our journey was not the problem. It was just the caring that was the problem. So, but at the same time, you know, when we started the agency, there were so many. There are a lot of egg donor agencies out there. And then the clinic started to offer the egg banks. And so we just felt that we could focus our energy on the surrogacy side. And we had a lot of egg donor agencies um, that we work very closely with. So it feels as though we can still offer that, even though the egg donors technically aren't within our agency. Well, and also what's interesting is what people need in an egg donor and what they need in a surrogate are very, very different things. So I would think it's actually helpful that you can put all of your energies into the surrogate, you know, one side or the other so that you can really be thorough and fully knowledgeable. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Where do you find your surrogates? 
Oh, good ads on Facebook or, (laughs) you know, I would say about 95% of our surrogates are on a referral basis. So we have a huge referral program where if somebody refers um, their friend or sister to us, then they are getting compensated for that referral. So that program is huge. And a lot of the referrals come from surrogates who have been with us before. So they share their experience or they might be, you know, these women who are in their 20s and 30s, they're on blogs and Facebook groups and Instagram and, you know, all different forms of social media. So they're just, they're talking about surrogacy. And then um, we do marketing. And most of these women, you know, they'll just... Google, you know, I want to be a surrogate. Um, and what's amazing when we do speak with the women who maybe they they haven't known somebody who's gone through the process. So they come in even more vulnerable because there's so much trust that goes into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll they'll be like, you know, I thought about this since I was 16, but I just did a Google search and I found you. And and we feel very we feel, you know, we really like to take our surrogates under our wing and educate them and guide them through the process and not just, you know, they're not just um, a number to us or a, a name. Like we want them to have an amazing journey, just like we want our intended parents to have an amazing journey. Yeah. And what do you look for in these surrogates, even though you're getting referrals? Do you do you have at this point, how long you've been doing this since 2011? Um, yeah, since 20, well, yes, since 2011. Yeah. So do you feel like you have sort of a gut instinct at this point? Like when you first hear from someone, can you often tell if they're going to pan out or are likely to pan out if they're serious about it or doing it for the right reasons? Yeah. Yeah. The good thing is when we, we have such a thorough screening process that they're going through so many different levels at the agency. Um, so it's not just myself, um, but it's also my partner and two other coordinators who are speaking with them. So we all sort of are like, Oh, okay. What did you think? What did you think? What was your gut instinct? What was your gut instinct? So I feel, yes, you know, we've been doing this a long time and, and you can tell, and just even their communication, if they communicate back within, 24 hours, you know, they're committed. That's true. So we usually can wean them out within the first week when they're not responding like they should. Um, Because in this process, like, you know, intended parents are so anxious. If somebody, if a surrogate can't respond to us when they're not pregnant within that 24 (laughs) hour period, you know, it's just not going to make an intended parent feel comfortable. It doesn't Um, bode well. Right. It must be hard, though, because there's such a need for surrogates. So it must be hard to say no to them from your position because you want to have a good roster. Well, you want to you want to help everyone. And I I always am like, oh, gosh, I wish um, I wish we could help everyone. And and we are particular with intended parents that we work with, because, of course, we want to help those who are, you know, just kind and respectful of the process. And, and of course, you know, everybody comes into this with their own story and with surrogates. Yeah. You know, out of the 10 applications or however many we get a week, if we can use one, we're lucky. Wow. And so it's, it can be a challenging process because you, you know, this process for them 
you know, people will say, oh, you know, they're just doing it for the money um, or what, you know, why do they want to do this? And we always say, you know, 100% the money helps these surrogates and there's no question about that, but it is definitely not just about the money because the process is so long for them and there's so much involved. Um, And of course it's hard on their bodies and everything that they go through. But you know what, if they can help somebody and then a couple can help them in return financially and then the reward that they're giving to them, it's a blessing on both sides. And it's interesting you mentioned the couples as well. You have to do a bit of a screening with the couple as well. That's interesting. So have you had to really, you've had to turn couples down or people down and say... We have. And what do you say? Would you say this isn't the right road for you or I don't feel it's a good fit or how? You know, um, in the past, it's either been, you know, that we're not the right agency for you or maybe we, um, and, you know, again, it's happened in the reverse as well. Some come into this wanting a big corporate agency, wanting it to feel really big. Safe. Yeah, maybe that makes them feel better. I don't know. Um, We are a more intimate agency. We like the personalized approach. We like to hold your hand throughout the entire process and be there and support you. But sometimes when they come and it doesn't feel right, then we'll just say, you know, unfortunately it doesn't feel like the right fit, which is not easy. Cause again, of course we want to help everybody, but we, you know, we can't, but there's an agency for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's good. And and I think this is a, a very, as we all know, it is such a fraught process and people who normally might be Super chill, calm people can kind of go a little bonkers sometimes. You know, everything is at stake and they might be in a position where they need to move in with the surrogate and monitor them 24-7. And that's not going to be a good situation for anybody. So they but that may not mean that they're normally bad people. They just might be at that point where, you know, they've been trying for 10 years and they're just like losing it at this point. So you know, and the emotional, most, uh, most intended parents come to this, um, scared, they're scared and they, you know, again, they've tried years and years, as you know, you know, of this process, right. they're just, they're scared, you know, that is so expected and so normal. And that's why we really just want to take them under our wing and be like, you know, we're here to help you. Like, it's going to be okay. But each phase is so scary. So those emotions and those anxious feelings, um, and being scared, that's okay. It's sometimes, um, you know, this process, sometimes people don't realize like there's a human being on the other side, like doing this for you. And, you know, some people come into this, like, well, I want this, 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 and this of my surrogate. And, and she has to be perfect and she has to do this. And it's like, okay, well, you know what, we're going to find you an amazing surrogate, but she might have one or two flaws, or she might've had something in her history. doesn't mean she's not a great candidate. It, It, but she might not be perfect. And so those ones, when they come in, like expecting perfection, um, we don't want to let them down. So that's when it's like, okay, maybe we're not the right age. Right, right, right. So, but but the, the ones that come in just scared, like, no, those don't scare us off because everybody is scared, no matter what they've been through. Even if, you know, your, your same-sex couple coming in um, who, you know, they're just like, woo, let's have a baby. And then <laughs> they're not scared, but then they cross a bridge of their first miscarriage or whatever it is. Um, Mm. We are just always here to support them and just talk to them and listen to them and say, okay, what can we do next? How can we all work together to focus on those next steps? That's great. I mean, there's also a lot of nuances with surrogacy that, you know, Kaylee and I have talked about where the day she sent us her first baby bump photo, it was very weird for me. 
because I didn't get to have my baby bump photo. But technically, this was my baby bump photo because it was my baby inside the bump. But it brought up so many emotions for me of my failings. And I didn't know how to respond. And then she turned out, I mean, few people, I think, get to have this conversation with their surrogate, but I got to interview her for IVFU. And she said, you know, it's so funny because when I took the picture, I wasn't sure if I should send it. You know, <laughs> So it's like, it really is like this dance that you can wind up doing with someone. It might be very different when it is a same-sex male couple because neither of them ever intended to be pregnant. So that might come with a different set of expectations. But yeah, it was very, it was very funny. Um, so Pam, I'm going to turn to you now. You've been very patient over there. First of all, do you like Pam or Pamela? Uh, either one is fine. Either Pam, one. I usually do Pamela for baby quest, but it's- okay. Well, I call you Pamela in my mind, but you oh. sign your emails, Pam. So I never oh, knew which way. That's because I, I know you, because I'm knowing you pretty oh, okay. well now. Oh, I'm so in. I feel so special. Right. Um, I'm going to call you Pamela because that's okay. just what I like. Um, so, okay, let's talk about Baby Quest. So Baby Quest started in 2011. Right. Um, I want to get more into your personal stories in a moment. But just for now, you know, tell me about Baby Quest. What is it? What types of people get these grants? How many babies? I want to hear sure. all the all the good stuff. Okay, um, Baby Quest is a charity, a nonprofit charity that I started in the end of 2011, basically 2012. Um, we give grants, not loans, but grants for procedures that are related to assisted reproduction. So, um, egg freezing, sperm and egg donation with IVF, also in vitro, frozen embryo transfers embryo donation transfers, and gestational surrogacy. Just okay. about the whole gamut of anybody needing help with having a child. Same-sex couples, uh, couples who want to omit uh, passing along a genetic disease such as cystic fibrosis. Oh, that's interesting. It's just about anything related to assisted reproduction. Generally, we do not fund um, IUIs, which mm. are far less expensive, often not as successful, and that we just don't fund. Okay. And I think also you do a lot of military families yes. or you have a focus. Yeah. We have, every time we give a grant, which is twice a year, when we give out grants, whether we give out six, eight, 10, 12, we gave out 13 last time, we have Operation Baby Quest, which means we give out a grant to a military family, either current military or having been in military, it could be male or female, and we call it Operation Baby Quest. Um, we also give or try to give a grant each cycle to somebody whose fertility has been robbed because of cancer. And again, oh, wow. either a male or a female. And it can be somebody who 10 years ago, you know, had chemo, destroyed their ability to produce eggs. And now, obviously, they can't get pregnant because they have diminished ovarian reserve or no reserve whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, wow. How many uh, grants have you awarded and how many babies have been born? Uh, let's see. We started out with two grants in March of 2012, and the total was something like maybe $10,000. I don't remember. Uh -huh. Not very much. There was one IVF that produced our first baby in Reno, Nevada. And actually it produced a second baby a few years later because of a frozen transfer oh, yeah. from the first okay. batch. 
and an IUI for somebody in Ohio, and the IUI was not successful. Um, obviously, much less expensive. So yeah. that those were the first grants we gave. Since then, we have given out approximately 150 grants, mm-hmm. and we have helped produce, as of yesterday, 105 babies. Wow. Um, we had the 105th <laughs> yesterday, and we've given out over $2.2 million in That's amazing. cash and cash equivalent. So um, it's been extremely rewarding and definitely a, a challenge, but kind of a growing increase each year, we, which we've been very blessed to have the donations and the ability to give out these grants each year. And I feel like the recipient pool is generally pretty diverse as well. I yes. think you make an effort, it looks like, to be inclusive. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. One one of the ways, I would say that, um, like Nicole was saying about selecting um, surrogates, the screening process, the screening process for selecting recipients is ridiculously difficult. And yeah. both Nicole and Julie are, have been on the committee one of the many layers of committees that we use to select applicants. Um, It's the problem when you don't have enough money to help everybody. And the, yes, diversity um, counts. Diversity in the procedures that we're awarding, for instance, some frozen transfers, some egg freezing, some gestational surrogacy, regular IVF, IVF for cancer, <laughs> um, wow, IVF yeah. to eliminate a genetic um, disease. So there's a lot secondary infertility. There's a lot of different procedures and cause, you know, different little areas to address. There's the geographic diversity. We can't choose everybody from California or everybody from Texas or everybody from New York. Um, There's the ethnicity to consider. We want to make sure that we are very diverse and we respect all ethnicities. It's difficult. We just want to make sure that that we're equitable and, and fair. Does the number of them grow? Has the fund itself grown so that you can give more grants or do you keep it the same? Yes, I would say um, our donations grew and grew every year. COVID definitely Mm. changed that. I think it's changed everything, (laughs) including everybody's mental state. Um, We gave out grants twice last year and incredibly we gave out more grants than we ever have given out. And I believe as much, if not more money than we've ever given out. However, things come back to, they catch up with you. And Uh, donations in 2020 were considerably less. And it's very understandable. I mean, I'm praying, hoping for six to eight this time. But oh, that's still a good number. It's still a very good number. Yeah. And I'm hoping that after COVID, when people start getting back to work and just the mental attitude about the future seems a little bit more optimistic, then our donations will pick up. And there are so right. many worthy causes now. There's a lot of competition for nonprofit donations. Yeah. And so, and I'm, you mentioned that first baby that was born in 2012. What did that feel like? What was that moment? You know, it was really interesting at that time. And fortunately, for especially the first few years, um, when you only have 
two recipients and then four recipients, whatever, you really become close to the people who receive the grants. And I'm very fortunate to have a very nice relationship with all of them. Some are more communicative than others. Some I have been very blessed to meet because they're either local or because we had um, a gathering of recipients. And when you meet the people, it's really nice to put a face to the, the couple and to the baby who, you know, by the time I meet them, usually is a toddler and, right. or a child. <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly one of the good things is that we have grown considerably. One of the drawbacks to that is I used to know everybody's name, husband's name, probably their birth date, probably, you know, their fertility <laughs> story. And when you get bigger, you kind of lose that sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. you can't remember the details for everybody. It's just not the same. It's bigger and it's still wonderful. And it's still wonderful to hear every time there's a pregnancy and especially a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you both sort of operate the same way. You're incredibly hands-on. You're also incredibly personable. Nicole, of course, you're very much the same way. And uh, so the same question about abundant beginnings or maybe even where you were before then. Do you remember your first, we're alive, you know, <laughs> one of those first ones? How did that feel? You know, it's such a, it's such a joy. And with surrogacy, you know, a lot of times um, intended parents, they have their babies and, you know, sometimes we hear from them and sometimes we don't. And that's absolutely okay. As long as that baby is healthy and in the parent's arms arms. That's all that matters. And we celebrate all, but the ones where, you know, these couples will come and they'll just say, you know, we have one embryo left. Mm. Those ones are the ones where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're (laughs) going to do this. We're going to do this. And we've seen so much success with one embryo and it's hard. They'll be like, is it going to work? And, you know, again, you can't guarantee anything at the same time. Those ones we do celebrate a little bit more because, you know, it's just, it's it's always a hard situation, but every case and every baby is such a celebration. Yeah. And Nicole, this was not ever the career path that you grew up thinking you were going to follow. You weren't eight years old collecting legal information on surrogacy yeah. in your bedroom. Yeah. Um, so what did you do before you were doing this? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like I never, you know, I wasn't that kid where I was like, I want to be a scientist or right. <laughs> I was like, I did, I think I said probably a few times, I want to be on Broadway. I want to be a dancer, you know? And so that led me to no, not do dancing, but to eventually get into <laughs> entertainment. What did you do? Were you a performer or no, were you? No, no. Oh, you were on the other side of the I table. I was on the business side and okay. everyone would say, gosh, you're too nice for this business. You're so nice. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like to be critiqued that it's a problem to be too nice. Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't yeah. think I'm meant for this business, you know? So anyways, so clearly I wasn't made for the business, but um, after, you know, my husband and I, we, we struggled for a number of years and I finally had my daughter my oldest, I was just, you know, crying every night was like, I, you know, I can't do this anymore. The job, the entertainment entertainment. job. And I I wanted to be with her. I wanted to just be home. I wanted to be a mom. And, but I also felt that I went through surrogacy for a reason. Um, And I felt very alone. And mind you, my oldest is now 11. So this was a number of years ago where surrogacy was not heard of every day. Not that it's heard of every day now, but it just really, you write about it in People Magazine. You're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a celebrity thing. It's a celebrity. People think. I didn't, I didn't know much about it. So anyway, so I, I wanted more from my experience. So I 
was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I kind of just want to get into the business somehow and be of help to others. Um, and then maybe have the opportunity to be home with my daughter more and just, you know, have, have that option. Um, so I just started cold calling agency, surrogacy agencies and sent my resume out. I'm like, I have no experience, but I'm an intended parent. Maybe I'll hire me. <laughs> but you did have business experience or was it completely unrelated to unrelated. what you do? Unrelated. I had, yeah, business oh. experience, but it did a uh, yeah, completely different experience than working for a surrogacy agency. But I was very fortunate that um, a bunch of doctors who had an in-house surrogacy agency hired me, you know, and obviously I didn't really fall in love with it until I owned my own agency and was able to make up my own rules and and yeah. I wanted to help and run a business with Julie, how we wanted to run it, um, that I really fell in love. And I do feel so blessed to be able to have this job, helping others going through this experience while still being a full-time mom and being here for my kids and, and having that experience as well. And what was your experience to having your child? What was your story? So well, I met my husband when I was all of 18. Oh, wow. So it was... So you didn't a, want to be pregnant. No, no, no. Right. But I, you know, I always wanted to be a mom. Like I would have preferred to, you know, again, when someone said, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, ah, oh, I just want to be home and be a mom. Like, again, I didn't have that drive to really be anything um, <laughs> right. except just to, you know, raise kids for some reason. I don't know. It just always sounded so amazing to be a stay-at-home mom. But anyways, um, it wasn't happening the way we had planned. So. Yeah. And then you, where did you find the surrogate that you worked with? Yes. So the first time it was like my sister's friend of a friend of a friend who knew somebody who owned an agency. So I was very fortunate through them to find an amazing surrogate who carried my oldest. Um, And then by the time I had my second, I was working for an agency at the time. So the process was a tiny bit second time, but both times were through agencies. And it's funny after the, the first, when it, you know, again, I went through the agency and when we discussed having the second, I was like, oh, I can find a surrogate myself. Like I'm in the business. I can do this. I don't need any help. And I think that lasted a hot second. I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. This is so much work. And because it's overwhelming, like it's a really yeah. overwhelming process. Well, and it's funny, I suspect it's romanticized possibly the way like real estate is romanticized. Like I have this fantasy that being a real estate agent is all about just seeing amazing apartments and beautiful houses and, you know, making deals, you know, showing people the beautiful house and they buy the house. And most of that job is like writing up listings, dealing with leases, you know, finding agreements, lawyers and tax forms and, you know, signing liens and all these different. Yeah. You know what? It all is so easy now, but when you're in the beginning of it and you don't understand a lot of of it. Yeah. I felt like when, when we went through it with, um, with our first that we were just signing our life away. I'm like, <gasps> you know, there's a picture of us actually like, okay, are we doing this? Are we doing this? I don't know. I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> and cause it's scary. Cause you, you're putting so much trust in a person to help you with something you want so bad. And it's, it's a big deal now, obviously, you know, 11 years down the road doing this, it's easy. And us educating our our clients who come to us and really just 
encouraging them that we will take care of you. We take care of everything. You can say that over and over again, but it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And what's also funny to me is I would feel like you would just want to run very far away. Like the minute you got the baby, bye-bye, you know, like just shut it all down and move on. But instead, both of you have really immersed yourselves in this world. I mean, this is your passion. This is this is what you are doing. And, and Pamela, I'm wondering for you, seeing your daughter go through something like this has to be so painful. It's amazing to me that you would want to kind of stay in that world. Do you know what I right. mean? Wow. Did you have to recover for a while? Or what, what's the founding of Baby Quest? What's um, the story behind that? Well, okay. You know, it's interesting listening to Nicole or Nikki, as I call her. Um, oh, there's so many names so to keep track yeah, of I know. in this conversation. From her, pers- from her perspective or from a mother, the mother or the, actually to the baby, the grandmother's perspective. Um, obviously, you know, we saw our older daughter go through IVF and it was like, oh, OK, so she's going to go through IVF. It always works. It always, always works. Yeah, right. Never we all doubt. think so. And it did. And it did. And Alexa oh. is 18 and going to college next year. Oh, my goodness. Um, so you think, oh, it always works. So and then uh, the older daughter had a very nice surprise two years later and all of a sudden was pregnant naturally. And then I thought of my own experience, having had two daughters, I did have one miscarriage in the middle, but I never waited more than three months to get pregnant. So you kind of think, oh, well, Nick, Nikki should have an easy time. And, you know, during the three or four long years with all the IVFs and all the disappointments and all the hyper-stimulated ovaries and the trips to the deli to get her chicken soup so that I could sit <laughs> with her and we could watch movies together um, <laughs> while she recovered from another IVF or another hyper-stimulation or another egg retrieval or another miscarriage. Mm. Um, you know, as a control freak, which I know I am. It makes it difficult because you're not in control and there's nothing you can do. And I know she and I come to this from a different perspective, as I'm going to cry. (laughs) Um, When she finally said, you know, we have to, or she finally found out at a second opinion, which is highly valuable to go to a second opinion when things Mm -hmm. sometimes aren't right. When she found out that she could not carry a baby, to me, it was like the beginning. It was like, Okay, so you get a surrogate. I don't know much about it, but you're going to get a surrogate. We're going to pay for it. That's it. It's over and done with. And to mm-hmm. me, it was like this bright, shining rainbow because that was hope. And you had an answer. Before, there hadn't been much. And so obviously I looked at it as the most amazing privilege to be able to um, help our child. And... <clears throat> And what else, you know, you can buy a house, you can take trips, you can do a lot of things, but you can be very blessed if you're in a financial position to be able to help create a family. Mm -hmm. And after it happened that Zoe was born, um, I had come from the business world, my background. Yeah. What did you do before um, you were a fabulous foundation runner? (laughs) The gene to be obsessive compulsive about having a career must skip a generation because I had that gene. (laughs) (laughs) And I was raised and born in a small town in central Illinois, went to school, you know, got a degree, have a master's. And I never, ever wanted to not have a career. 
And I was a teacher for a very short period of time. I taught French and Spanish in a junior high school. And I was very fortunate in 1985 to become one of the founding partners or owners of the Princeton Review Test Prep Company. And it started in my portion of it, started in our bedroom. And as Nikki knows, it grew and grew. And that was 1985. And I sold my portion of it after it went public in 2001. And it was part of my life. It was my identity. And, you know, I had like several hundred people, part-time people who worked for me. And after I sold it, I basically was left with no identity. At least I felt that way. And, And then when Nikki had her issues, we finally, after Zoe was born, I woke up one day and I just wondered what in the world do people do who are not financially blessed to pay for IVF and more than one IVF or surrogacy or whatever they need. And that's when the charity was born. Wow. That's an amazing, amazing story. And I guess I was going to say, you know, how do you suddenly start this foundation? But you'd already started a huge company. So were were there parallels between those? Or Most definitely. You know, you can start a business, whether it be a nonprofit or a, a, a profit, you know, making business. And the rules are basically the same. You have to be fiscally responsible and you have to understand um, that not every business profit or nonprofit is, is successful. And if you don't run it correctly, um, you're not going to be successful. So I had been very fortunate with Princeton Review that it had grown considerably and was very successful. And I used the same bit of of fiscal responsibility in running baby quest and I still do. Well it's interesting because they, you know, I know that nonprofits almost have to work better than for profits because you know they have to sort of overcome that idea that, oh well, we're not trying to make money, but you still have to function as though you're trying to make money or you're not going to make any money. So you have to make and it's you need a sense of organization and skill set of working with people. And I was very fortunate to have gathered that throughout the Princeton Review years. So I want to so we've kind of covered what you guys do. We've covered why you do it. We've covered a bit of how you do it. Um, so I want to talk about how are you going to keep doing it? So, um, Nicole, I'm wondering, how has the world of surrogacy and fertility changed since you've been involved? You know, it's amazing to see the changes that have developed over the years. Financially, the cost of surrogacy has gone up dramatically since I did it, um, which is which is hard because you have so many who need this resource and there's not a lot of ways to do it, you know, to do it cheaply, honestly. I have to make the real estate comparison again. Is that just because it's like a hot property at this point or why has it gone up so you much? You know, it, it's really interesting. The, the biggest jump in costs that we have seen is surrogates base fees uh, mm. because, you know, when I did it, you know, we were compensating surrogates you know, in 20,000, somewhere around there, um, where now, you know, base fee for surrogate is, you know, 40, 50,000. Um, wow. And I think an increase in that is demand. There's, um, we have, you know, the one constant thing over there is that has not changed is the demand for surrogates. There are so many 
more intended parents looking than there are surrogates. So some will say, gosh, there's so much competition, you know, in agencies in Los Angeles, and we help clients all over the world, but of course we're based in Los Angeles. Um, But the thing is the need is always there. So there can be hundreds of agencies and the need is still going to be there for intended parents looking for surrogates. Um, So that demand has not changed at all. Um, uh, What about culturally? Do you feel like there's a different perception of surrogacy now than there was 10 years ago? Or I mean, 10 years ago, the only person I knew was Sarah Jessica Parker had her kids through surrogacy. But yeah, I do feel like it's, I don't know if it's more accepted. I think it is because I'm in the world, but I think it's more known about. Do you feel that? I do. I do. I feel as though um, there are more your everyday people doing it. There's more people talking about it. And I think that also um, has helped with social media and blogs and everything that's written about it. Right. It feels more accessible where you feel like, you know what, I'm just going to Google and maybe there's a group I can ask some questions. Um, so I feel that you can talk to your everyday person a little more about it than you could 10 years ago. So in that part, I feel, yeah, it's more talked about, but also miscarriages are more talked about now they weren't 10 years ago. Nobody wanted to admit it or say anything because I was like, oh my God, that's so awful. We don't talk about it. And I think that has helped other women be like, yeah, so I've had a miscarriage. So I need a surrogate. Okay. It's not that big of a deal now, Um, but also making it not a big deal for the kids that are born through egg donor embryo or surrogacy. It's not a big deal. And it's just their story. Like who cares how they came into the world, just that they're here. They have good parents and that they were wanted. Um, So I find that to be the most important thing. Uh, Yeah. I think it's part of adoption as well. It's part of a real shift since, uh, I don't know, the seventies, I'll say, um, of understanding that that information helps kids to normalize it. It doesn't hurt them. The sooner you integrate it calmly and without fanfare into the child's life, the more normal and boring it is for them. I recall when my oldest was born, you know, the surrogate handed her to me and I was like, okay, here's your story. I, and my husband's like, I don't think you need to tell her quite yet. I'm like, no, 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 no. She needs to know. So she knows. And, and he was just like, and so of course, you know, and I would tell her like every few months and what's fun now, obviously, because my kids are older um, and they a hundred percent know. And of course they know what I do on a daily basis is helping people have babies, but it's just cool. Like they could care less how, you know, that I didn't carry. I'm like, that's no Right. Um, but it's just their stories. But yeah. And Pamela, do you or have there been significant changes for you in your end of the business um, uh, for the oh, last 10 years? Yes, um, definitely. As Mostly Nicole, financial or otherwise? Um, financial. Obviously, the clinics keep raising the prices, everything going up quite a bit. Um, yeah. The openness and the talking about it and the destigmatizing of infertility both male and female, it still has a long way to go, but it is much better. Mm -hmm. And now there are so many things online. Um, Support group for this, support group for that. Learning how to do reflexology to get pregnant, acupuncture. Sometimes there's almost, there's just so much information out there. Sometimes it can almost be confusing because there's Mm -hmm. so many different resources. There's a resource to find the resources. You know, all we want to do at BabyQuest is get money, get donations, and give it out to people. (laughs) It's very simplistic. And unfortunately, surrogacy, a lot of people still do feel that surrogacy, oh, that's a celebrity thing. And Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because even with IVF, you definitely 
have to have funds, which is sad that it can't be for everybody, despite the fact that insurance seemed to be helping in some states in some ways and some employers who are offering fertility insurance that is really great. Yeah. And and also over the past 10 years, I'm curious, do politics matter? We've had quite a significant swing in the national conversation and the national uh, commander in chief in the last few years. Has it trickled down to where you guys are? or um, You know, when I first made the conscious decision to start BabyQuest, it was like, okay, I could embark upon being an advocate or I could do BabyQuest and giving out grants. Mm-hmm. So as involved as I am in trying to provide fertility affordability for our recipients, I try to stay out of the lane of people who are doing advocacy as much as I support it, which I definitely mm-hmm. do. And that's actually something I was wondering, um, Nicole, with these limits, are there other states where surrogacy is illegal? Um, there are, uh, gosh, very few, though. Again, there are certain states where... Or countries, because you do international as well. Right? Well, we work with, yeah, clients all over the world who will come to the states to do it because it's illegal there. But here, you know, certain states are very open for same sex, no issues. Your names go on the birth certificate right away, um, which is called a pre-birth order. And then there's other states where we do have to stay clear of a same sex couple or if they're a couple's not married or using an egg donor. So there are um, a lot that are easier and more favorable. Um, but again, it seems as though we're coming to a better place where more uh, do make it very easy where it is a pre-birth order and you don't have to go through a whole um, adoption process if the order is post. Mm. But, you know, being in California, that's why a lot of people around the world do come here to the fertility clinics, A, because, uh, you know, the doctors are, they're wonderful all over, but in LA, there's so many. And then finding a surrogate in a surrogacy-friendly state just to make the process easy is ideal. Yeah. Um, so I, because you are both, you know, strong, strong women, and and I know you were saying uh, in your own words, Pamela, that you're a control freak. Do you, <laughs> you don't actually work together, right? You have no. these sort of somewhat parallel um, companies, but, you know, Nicole, does Pamela ever, as your mom or as an outside consultant, tell you what to do and vice <laughs> versa? Pamela, does Nicole tell you what to do ever? <laughs> no, I feel no. that... <laughs> There's no unsolicited advice coming back and forth. No, you know, it's funny in the middle of the podcast, you know, I was one who, you know, really didn't have a vision of what I wanted to do with my life, but I definitely had (laughs) a wonderful role model as far as how to run a business. And so luckily, um, I don't think she ever gives advice, but it was just, you know, watching over the years and being able to see that, um, you know, we, we do run some stuff, but you know, I, I feel like it's more of a, Hey, what would you do in this situation from a business perspective or not? No, like mother daughter bickering is going on. No, I feel like if not we enough. worked more closely together, maybe, but no. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yes. I'm sure. I would say the only thing I remember telling Nicole when she had the opportunity to start up the beginning was the fact that take advantage of an opportunity to be a female running your own business and not having a Mm -hmm. boss and you get your independence, you get control and it's a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I want to make sure we say all your websites and your handles very clearly. So we have Abundant Beginnings Company. That's the full name, right? ABC Surrogacy. What's the website? abcsurrogacy.com. Great. And then it's BabyQuest Foundation. What's the website for BabyQuest? Um, The website, babyquestfoundation.org. Okay, great. And you guys are on social media as oh, well? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Any, any different in, uh, what are your handles? Um, <laughs> the pop quiz, nobody Facebook. knows. We'll Facebook. find them. Yeah. 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 Google. <laughs> your handle is Google, that's your handle. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, right. <laughs> so uh, just to wrap up, is there any? are there any final stories you'd like to share? Words of advice, thoughts, speaking to the people? Pamela, we'll go first. Um, just that we obviously thrive on donations. And applications, you know. Yes, you can't have one without the other. One of the worst things is to have somebody call before a deadline, a day before, and say, I'm just so upset because I just found out about you. And quite honestly, the application takes a while to fill out. You have to gather documents from your doctor and whatever. And it's it's bothersome that more people don't know about the fact that we exist. So I would say, the more visibility, the better it is because we get more donations and more applications. And what about you, Nicole? What would be your sort of final thoughts today? I just, you know, again, anyone who is thinking or looking or wanting information about surrogacy, Abundant Beginnings is, we're always here to answer any questions and offer advice um, and just be a resource for those going through, going through it. So even if people are are thinking about it, that's a good, it's good for them to reach out to you and absolutely chew it over. Yep. That's wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much. And of course, final words, be nice to your mother. Right. <laughs> she is. <laughs> we want to end that way. Uh, but really, thank you so much. Thank Perfect. You. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with Nicole, Pam, and me. Visit abcsurrogacy.com for more info on surrogacy. And if you're looking for an incredible place to donate or you're in need of financial help with infertility, check out babyquestfoundation.org. This is also your last chance to submit your questions to our resident therapist, Savannah Sanfield. Deadline is 11-11-21. And you can submit via email to ivfupodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at ivfupodcast. I'm looking forward to hearing your questions and getting Savannah's expert advice. The IVFU Podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaper, and Emmeline Summerton. Audio mastered by Logan Heftel. Thanks to Chris Benelli for the late night Pro Tools parties, George Strayton for marriage, and Gary Scott for greasing the wheels. IVFU is a production of Inside Voices Media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. You can download our theme song, Freakin' Love, at IVFUPodcast.com. And we'd love for you to review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone who might be helped by these conversations. You can also be a huge help by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFUPodcast. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because it's all about being a family. 